0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of True Crimes and Weird Times. I'm Kim. I'm Ashley. And this week, I'm going to be telling you the story of the Rogers family, a mom and two daughters who went on vacation to Florida and never came back.
1: And I'm going to be telling you about the man, the myth, the legend, Nostradamus.
0: I'm sure we've all heard his prophecies at one point or another, but were they actually true? And now, please enjoy our new theme song, Courtesy of Joseph Gregory. Thanks, Joe. On May 26, 1989, 36-year-old Joan Rogers, along with her daughters, 17-year-old Michelle and 14-year-old Christy... We're getting ready to leave their dairy farm in Wilshire, Ohio, for a much-needed and long-awaited vacation. Joan's husband, Hal, was staying home to run the farm while Joan and the girls took their first trip outside of Ohio.
1: Oh, that had to have been exciting.
0: I know. They were headed down to Florida with a full itinerary. They were going to go to Disney World, SeaWorld, the Jacksonville Zoo. They were going to do it all. Wow. Which had to be super exciting for the girls yeah. who had never been out of town. Oh,
1: that would have been amazing.
0: Joan was outgoing. She was fun. And Hal was more quiet and reserved. And their girls kind of mimicked their personalities a little bit. Okay, yeah. As kids tend to yeah. do. So Michelle, the oldest, was kind of shy and quiet like her dad. And then Christy was really cheerful and bubbly, more like her mom. Aww. Now, Hal would have loved to go on this trip as well. But dairy farms aren't really something you can just leave alone (laughs) for days at a time. Fair enough. So it was just a girl's trip. They left the house around noon and they started their thousand mile drive down to Florida. The next five days were spent driving, going to theme parks, sightseeing, all the usual vacation things. Okay, yeah. Then... On June 1st, they left Orlando and they headed down to Tampa where they planned to go to Busch Gardens, maybe visit the beach, just kind of the last leg of their vacation. Yeah. As they arrived in Tampa, Joan pulled over to look at a map she'd picked up. It was on the back of one of those brochures, you know, you get at the travel stops and she was trying to figure out where their hotel was. So as she's sitting there. A man approaches her and he asks, like, hey, are you guys lost? Do you need help? I noticed you had an Ohio license plate. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually from Ohio. I can I can help you out. Huh. So she tells the man what hotel they're looking for. And he takes the brochure from her and on the back of it writes down directions to her hotel. But then he goes on to make an offer. How would they like to come out on his boat that evening to watch the sunset? No. Yeah, you'd think that would be the answer, but... <laughs> wow. Well. I think Joan was a little more apprehensive of this, but both the girls were so excited. They wanted to go see the sunset on the boat. The man seemed super friendly, and he was really helpful. He was, you know, sharing that common yeah. thing about both being from Ohio. Uh-huh. So Joan agreed, and she wrote down directions to his boat launch They were supposed to look for a blue and white boat when they got Mm. there. That sounds pretty vague. It does sound pretty (laughs) vague. I know. But they told him thank you and they headed off to their hotel. Okay. They checked into the Days Inn around 1230. They ate dinner at the attached restaurant that evening. And then they left their hotel around 730 p.m. to go to the boat launch but they never came back to the hotel. Uh, Yep. On June 4th, 1989, a sailboat was out on the Tampa Bay when they saw something floating in the water. As they got closer, it became clear it was a body. The Coast Guard was notified and they sent a boat out to retrieve the body, but when they tried to pull it out of the water, they couldn't seem to lift it. Oh. Oh. And they quickly discovered a 30-pound cement block had been tied around the victim's neck to weigh down the body. Oh, my God. So they cut the rope, and they get the body up on the boat, Mm -hmm. and they put it in a body bag, and they start to head back to shore. But before they could make it back, they get notified that a second body had been found. Of course. So on their way to the second body, they get a call that a third body had been found. Yeah. Yeah. And as you've all probably guessed by now, these were the bodies of Joan, Michelle, and Christy Rogers.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like the first one, the other two bodies were also weighed down with cement blocks as well, tied around their necks. Each victim had their ankles bound together and their hands were tied behind their back. They had duct tape over their mouths. Oh, God. And they were also nude from the waist down. The medical examiner determined they had been in the water for three to five days and And that the gases from decomposition is actually what caused the bodies to float enough to pull these concrete blocks up so that the bodies could float.
1: Who knew? Well. (laughs)
0: Uh, Medical examiners, I guess. Forensics and
1: (laughs) medical examiners, sure.
0: (laughs) But police still need to identify the bodies because police don't know who these women are. Yeah. So on June 8th. A maid at the Days Inn Motel lets her manager know that one of the rooms had been untouched for days. Hmm. All the stuff was there, but the beds hadn't been slept in. The towels hadn't been used. And it'd been like three days since they checked in at this point. Wow. And having seen the news reports, because this was a big deal, finding three bodies in the bay. So having seen the, the news reports about the bodies, it didn't take very long for the manager to make that connection and call the police. Now, at this point, Hal had already reported his wife and kids missing back in Ohio because they had actually been due to arrive back home on June 3rd, Oh, which was the day before the bodies Wrong. were found. So police call Hal and they get dental records for all three of the girls. And then they confirm Hal's worst fear. Mm. An autopsy was performed on the bodies, but being in the water had effectively washed them clean yeah there were no fingerprints no dna no hairs just nothing mm-hmm. sexual assault was assumed because of them being undressed from the waist down but you know they couldn't get any evidence from it because they were in the water what, what they do find out from the bodies though is horrifying oh, God, all three victims had water in their lungs Meaning they were thrown into the water with a cement block around their neck while they were still alive. God, 17-year-old Michelle had actually managed to get one of her hands free, but she was unable to loosen the rope around her neck. Now, the investigation started where they always start, with Hal. Yep. And because police found it strange that he waited three days to report his family missing. But since he's a regular at several diners and stuff around town back in Ohio, he was quickly ruled out. I mean, oh, he was okay. clearly in Ohio yeah. the whole time. And as far as the not reporting them for three days, I mean, at one point I read about Joan sending him a postcard to update him on the trip. Oh, OK. So it's not like he's in touch with him. He probably was just saying, OK, maybe they hit traffic. Maybe they yeah. needed to stay a couple extra days and, well, you know, not wanting to think the worst. Right. And... <sighs>
1: That's a common thing to do. But think about it. They also had to drive a thousand miles.
0: Right. Yeah. So. And this was in 89. Yeah. So the next thing they do is start looking for Joan's car. And it doesn't take them very long to find it because it was still parked at the public boat launch about a mile from their hotel. Huh. Inside the car, police find two sets of directions. One written by Joan and the other was written by someone else. <sighs> They quickly deduce that whoever wrote these directions is probably the person who took them out on the boat and subsequently murdered right. them. Because the directions were to the boat launch. <laughs> yeah. That, well, Joan wrote the directions to the boat launch, but the other person but, wrote the directions to the hotel. Right. They also find a set of fingerprints in the car that didn't match any of the Rogers family. Oh. Now, investigators are absolutely flooded with tips on this case. It would literally take them years to follow up on all of these. Really? Just like people seeing them out and about? People spotting them, people thinking they know something. Um, There's also one more factor that comes up I'm about to tell you about that causes more tips to come in. So one of the things that seemed especially promising to investigators is the fact that they had figured out two weeks before the Rogers were murdered. A 24-year-old woman named Judy Blair had been on vacation with a friend in Madeira Beach, Florida. Mm -hmm. They had ran into a man at a gas station who offered to take them on a sunset cruise. Oh! Judy's friend decided she didn't really want to go. Yeah. But Judy wanted to go see the sunset out on the water, and the man seemed friendly, and and it seemed (sighs) safe. So she met up with a man. She went out on his blue and white boat. Uh-huh. And then once they were out on the water, the man, who said his name was Dave Posner or Posno. She couldn't really remember which one okay. he said. When they were out on the water, he proceeded to rape Judy. Oh, no. He then refused to take her back to shore <sighs> until she told him, hey, my friend is waiting for me back on the docks. If you don't take me back, she's going to know something's wrong. Huh. So that's when he agrees, okay, I'll take you back to right. to shore. And she said that he even tried to like have a normal conversation with her on the way back, Ew. like act like nothing was wrong. And then when they finally got back close enough to shore they could see it, I guess. Yeah. He tells Judy like if you want to get back so bad you can swim the rest of the way. Well, he didn't want to get caught. Right. So she just immediately jumps overboard. She jumps off the boat and she swims back to to the docks, Mm -hmm. which unfortunately washes away any evidence that could have been collected. Yeah. After talking with Judy, detectives obviously decide whoever raped Judy is the same man who killed Joan and her daughters. Sounds right to me. And they work with Judy to make a composite sketch of the man. Uh huh. She also tells the investigators that the man told her he worked in the aluminum siding business, which would be important later. Okay. So they get this sketch out there and they just start getting, again, flooded with tips and leads and wow. things to investigate. And remember how I said it would take years to follow up on them? Uh huh. It took three, to be exact. Wow. Three full years of following up and tracking down every tip and every lead they had.
1: Jeez.
0: And they still had basically nothing. That is, until July of 1992. Oh, boy. That's when police start putting billboards up in the area. And this had actually never been done before. Police had never used billboards in an active investigation before. So, on the billboards, they put a picture of the handwritten directions... With the words, who wrote these directions? You may know who killed the Rogers family. $25,000 reward. Wow. Oh, and
1: I bet that guy had to see it every day. I hope so.
0: It doesn't take long after these billboards go up for a woman to call in saying she recognized the handwriting as that of her former neighbor, Oba Chandler. She actually still had a work order that he had written for her when he was doing some work for her. Oh, no. And can you guess what kind of job Oba had at the time? Was it aluminum sodding? He was an aluminum building contractor. Uh, the handwriting analysis came back as a match to Oba Chandler after she supplied them with that work order to compare oh, it to. Yeah. Along with the fingerprints on the brochure matching him. Oh, and a full palm print on the hood of the Rogers car.
1: Wow. That's some good investigating.
0: Yeah, I know it took three years, but the police Still. really did their job. Yeah. Here. And it's super impressive that they didn't just give up after three years. Oh, I know. Now, shortly after the sketch had been released, Oba had actually moved away from Tampa. Shocker. And had even told his daughter he couldn't go back to Florida because he was wanted for murdering what? three women. His son-in-law also told police that Oba used to brag about raping and killing Ugh. women. So on September 24th, 1992, police arrested Oba Chandler for the rape and murder of the three Rogers women. The evidence was super solid. Mm-hmm. And on November 4th, 1994, he was sentenced to death. Oh, wow. He was executed via lethal injection on November 15th, 2011. After a whopping 17 years in prison with no visitors. Wow. Good. Not even one person came to visit him. Good. Yeah, that's what I (laughs) said.
1: I don't feel sorry for him.
0: But that's not the end of Oba Chandler. Oh. Because in 2014, police got DNA confirmation that Oba was also responsible for the rape and murder of 20-year-old Ivalice Berrios Begaris, and I apologize if I said that name wrong, <laughs> who was killed November 27, 1990, in Coral Springs, Florida. Wow. She had been strangled. She had ligature marks on her wrists and ankles <sighs> and had brown tape stuck in her hair. They believe that Oba had actually watched her for a couple of days at her job at the mall before slashing her tires and posing as a helpful stranger to lure her off. Man. They did find her body, but for years that case was open and yeah. just unsolved until 2014 when they were finally able to close her case as well. Well, good. At least, at least something good came out of it. This case was actually featured on an episode of, like, the original Unsolved Mysteries back in the 90s. Oh, yeah, because of the
1: 89.
0: Yeah. And they talk about there being possibly two perpetrators, which the police did think that for a while. They even kept that theory after he was arrested for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they couldn't really prove that anyone else had been involved. And they think it was just Oba. And they have actively been checking investigations anywhere he lived since then, just to make sure.
1: Well, and I can understand how they can get two perpetrators out of it. That's three women. I mean, they were all old enough to To fight back. back. So I could see that. But I could also see it being just one really gross man.
0: But this also, I don't know, this case was really heartbreaking to me because... This family was just trying to go on their first ever vacation. Yeah.
1: Well, it kind of hit a little close because I have two daughters. That's terrifying. I know. But I also wouldn't, I don't know, I also wouldn't get on a boat with anybody. Not that I'm victim blaming. That's not what I'm doing. But like, please don't get on boats.
0: Please don't go anywhere with strangers. Yeah. It's just not a good idea. Yeah, just
1: don't do that. Before we get on with the show, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our newest patron, Shayna McDougal.
0: Yay! She is part of the Coven. Thank you, Shayna. Thank you so much, Shayna. And if you're not part of our Patreon, you are missing out, man. Absolutely. If you sign up, you'll have access to things like bonus
1: episodes, mini episodes, blooper reels, behind the scenes content,
0: merchandise like stickers and t-shirts. We even have an option that lets you vote on stories for future episodes.
1: So if you want extra content and want to support your favorite podcast, that's us, by the way, check out patreon.com slash true crimes
0: weird times. Now on with the show.
1: So I wanted to do Nostradamus this week, kind of for nostalgic sake. Do you remember as a kid standing in the grocery lawn to check out and seeing National Enquirer and like the latest Nostradamus prophecy?
0: No, but I definitely oh. remember reading those magazine yeah. headlines <laughs> that it's like aliens and crazy. Yeah, Bat Boy. Yeah.
1: I don't know. For some reason, that always caught my attention as a kid. I always thought it was so cool and like, what was going to happen? You know, mm-hmm. so uh, as I was trying to think of. Some stories to do this week. Nostradamus was the one that kind of stuck out in my head. Nostradamus was born in December of 1503 in France. His actual name was Michel de Nostradame.
0: You're welcome. That was perfect. Thank you.
1: (laughs) So not much is known about his childhood. He was one of nine kids. And there's a story that he studied with his great-grandfather, Jean de Saint-Rémy, But there's not really any proof of that, except, you know, just stories. Other than that, there's not much about when he was a child. I mean, well, it was fifteen. It was the 1500s. That's how it was. However, at 14, he attended the University of Avignon. But after only a year, he was forced to leave due to an outbreak of the plague. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. But the university closed, so he had to leave. And he spent the next 8 years of his life traveling the French countryside researching herbal remedies and working as just an apothecary, just a medicine man.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. In 1529, he re-entered school. He went to the University of Montpellier. I'm pretty sure it's not Pelier like it is here. <laughs> uh to study for a doctorate in medicine. But when they learned that he had worked as an apothecary, he was expelled from school. Apparently, apothecaries and doctors were having a big head-to-head feud, and they didn't like each other. So being an apothecary was banned. Well, I can kind of see their yeah. point there.
0: I mean, it, again, 1500s, it's a little witchy if
1: yeah. we're going to go there.
0: So, But even today, you've got like your well, yeah, a holist, natural remedy. Yeah, holistic
1: approach. Yeah. And the, yeah, I get it. I get it. So it's been like that forever. So after his expulsion... He continued to work as an apothecary because why not? He knew what he was doing. He became pretty well known for it. And he apparently became famous for creating something that was called a rose pill that helped fight against the plague. Now, it was called a rose pill because it contained rose hips, which are high in vitamin C. And we all take vitamin C when we're sick. I well, that makes sense. So that's why it was working. <laughs> it, of course, was probably doing a lot better than what the other doctors were doing which was, you know, bloodletting and giving them mercury to cure them. Yeah, I'd say his approach was a little <laughs> better then. I think I would take the rose pill. Now, in 1531, he married and they had two children. But unfortunately, three years later, his wife and children died of the plague. And after their deaths, he began to travel again. He would travel around and help people of France and Italy and just fought against the plague. In 1545, he married again to a wealthy widow, and they had six children.
0: Oh, that poor woman. (laughs) The six children are Nostradamus. The six children.
1: (laughs) During the plague, of all things. Right. And that's, I mean, that's his life in a basic... Nutshell. Nutshell.
0: (laughs) That's the normal part of his life. That's the normal part of his life.
1: Eventually, he began to move away from medicine... And he started moving towards the occult. He started writing almanacs, which were really popular at the time. We still have them now, if you're not sure what an almanac is. It's really popular with farmers and gardeners, and I guess astrologers. We had a farmer's almanac growing up. I was going to say, I think they're still at the store. Yeah, you can still buy them. Yeah, Uh, they're just annual magazines that list out like the best times for planning. It mentions moon phases, weather forecasts. Planets, moon locations it talks I know it talks about like the, the zodiac signs and the parts of the body, yeah, and stuff. I used to look that up all the time.
0: I know I remember my grandmother talking about you have to wait until it's in the knees or something yeah to yeah, yeah take take a pacifier away from your kid or something yeah or like wean or something, yeah,
1: uh, and I mean, I know for sure, down here in the South, people swore bomb, mhm, so. I mean, I don't know about other locations. I'd love to know. But because of these almanacs, you know, nobility and other members of high society began to ask Nostradamus for personalized horoscopes and psychic advice because he's looking at the future. Yep. But here's the thing. Nostradamus would ask for the client's birth chart before doing this. Other astrologers at the time could do the birth chart themselves, but he couldn't. And when asked to do it himself, he often got things wrong on the charts. Well, that doesn't bode well. Uh, Yeah. But that didn't seem to sway people away from him. They still asked him, you know, for prophecies and astrology. So
0: they didn't care that he only had, you know, like a small percentage of being right.
1: Well, and maybe he was just a
0: great salesman. It's possible. Yeah.
1: Bring me your birth chart and we'll sit down and figure it out together. Yeah. You know. Also around this time, he began to write a book. It's called Le Prophétis, and that is wrong, but it translates to the prophecies. I mean, pretty literally. It consisted of a thousand quatrains, which were four lines of undated prophecies, just four lines each. This gained the attention of Catherine de' Medici. Now, I hope that Catherine de' Medici kind of rings some bells because, I mean, she was pretty well known during the time nothing for me nothing nothing the medicis like they i think they like poison paper you know what let's just do an episode on that later yeah (laughs) write that down write that down now she was one of his quote greatest admirers she was really into nostradamus she had read some of his prophecies in 1555 that were threats directed at her family no wonder she liked him so much uh yeah she then asked Nostradamus to visit her and explain those prophecies, as well as make horoscopes for her children. Now, she liked him so much that she eventually named him Counselor in 1566 and even made him Physician and Ordinary to her son, King Charles the Ninth. Wow. Like, she really liked him. Now, it's 1500s. Yep. So, he was constantly afraid of being persecuted for heresy because... Of the horoscopes, and I think he just got lucky, yeah. to be honest, that he caught the attention of nobility. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he could have easily gone the, down the heresy track. Yep. But what he did wasn't technically considered heresy unless he practiced magic alongside it. So, okay. So he was just kind of teetering the line. Now, at one time, he was imprisoned in 1561, but it was just because there was a new rule that... Almanacs had to be approved by the bishop before publishing, and he didn't do it. Ah, yeah, <laughs> nothing uh, fabulous. Now, Nostradamus had gout, which by the end of his life had turned into edema, which is swelling. And right now, he knew he didn't have much time left, so he worked with a lawyer to write his will. On July first, he told his secretary that he wouldn't be found alive by sunrise, and the next morning he was found dead in his room. And he was laying between his bed and a bench.
0: Wow. Yeah. And of course, that, you know, just kind it of... just boosted sl- his yeah. popularity, probably. He knew. But he probably did really know. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel well, like I, I would gonna know. Say, I was going
1: to say, I feel like he probably, like, knew. Now, he was buried in Salon, but then he was moved due to the French Revolution to Collegiale saint Laurent where his body is still there to this day so that is where he rests and that is the life of Nostradamus the end just kidding. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about his book the prophecies
0: yeah I want to hear some yeah of those. this is
1: the good stuff it spanned over a handful of editions in 1568 after his death they combined all of these into a collection that ultimately contained one rhymed and 941 unrhymed quatrains that are grouped into nine sets of 100 and another book containing the last 42 and it's called centuries wow that's a lot it is a lot (laughs) so because the way the printers worked in those times they were set according to verbal dictation no two editions are the same Like somebody was reading these books and then they were setting up the print. Right. You know, Uh, so there's several different spellings and punctuations and wording. And that's important because that means that all of this is now up for interpretation.
0: Which is in his favor.
1: It is, actually. Also, the quatrains were never dated. So it's really easy to just apply them to anywhere, anytime.
0: Well, that's cheating.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that horoscopes, basically?
0: In general. In
1: general. Now, I found some of my favorite prophecies, and I found it from com. Take that as you may. But uh, I really liked these, and I wanted to share them with you. So the first one is the prophecy of the death of Henry the Second. Now, Nostradamus' prophecy says, and I'm sure these are translated from French. Yeah. Again, another thing that... <laughs> yeah, they could change things. That could change things. But it says, the young line will overcome the older one. On the field of combat in a single battle, he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage. Two wounds made one. Then he dies a cruel death. Now, at the time, Henry the Second was having a friendly joust with the captain of his guard, Gabriel Montgomery. And on their final run, Montgomery's lance shattered and it splintered into Henry's visor, hitting him in the eye and, you know, stabbing him in the eye. Basically. Yep. <laughs> Henry suffered for 10 days and then finally succumbed to his wounds because who wouldn't? However, this wasn't attached to Henry's death until decades after he died. This was just like, oh, this must have meant for this. So it was in hindsight anyway. Also, Nostradamus even wrote to Henry after the quatrain had been published and told Henry that he saw a long reign for him. Hmm. So I think this was just in hindsight.
0: Yeah, I think they were just looking for something to attach that to.
1: Now, one that got my attention is the Great Fire of London. And the prophecy says, The blood of the just will be lacking in London, burnt up in the fire of 66. The ancient lady will topple from her high place. Many of the same sect will be killed. Now, during the Great Fire of London, a small fire from a bakery started, and it turned into a huge fire consuming a large part of the city. And this was in September of 1666. Also, the, quote, blood of the just was interpreted as the fire clearing out the plague infested rats in the city because the plague also ended around the same time.
0: Hmm.
1: But, of course, it's because the fire killed all the plague infested rats. Yeah. (laughs) And the great lady has been translated to the statue of the Virgin that fell from the steeple of St. Paul's Cathedral during the fire. it it fits better than henry ii it does it fits better than that (laughs) you gotta give me that one Mm -hmm. (laughs) the next one i kind of really liked was the rise of hitler and the prophecy says from the depths of the west of europe a young child will be born of poor people he who by his tongue will seduce a great troop his fame will increase towards the realm of the east now hitler was born to a civil servant and a homemaker in austria hungary so that
0: checks out Yep.
1: He also used his great speaking abilities to gain followers and create anger towards the Jews,
0: still checking out. yeah,
1: however, it could be argued that Hitler was technically not German. He was Austrian-Hungarian, and the prophecy could have easily been applied to several German rulers in history. well,
0: they're very vague,
1: yeah. all of these are really vague,
0: like, yeah, I could write these prophecies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm bound to get a couple right out of what nine hundred. 942 of them. Yeah, at least a few of them are going to come true. Uh, Homework for our listeners. (laughs) Write a prophecy. Write us a prophecy. We'll post it. We'll see where we are in 100 years. (laughs) Yep. Time capsule for the podcast.
1: But also, apparently, the wife of Joseph Grobels was a follower of Nostradamus. Like, she loved him. And she would use his writings to claim that they were the rulers of the world. Oh. So, I mean... That shows you how all of this could be. Yeah. <laughs> kind of sense. just a plot. <laughs> the next one is the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The prophecy says near the gates and within the cities, there will be two scourges, the like of which was never seen. Famine within plague. People put out by steel, crying to the great immortal God for relief. Now, this could easily be translated to atomic bombs. Mm-hmm. Two were dropped on the towns. This caused a plague of sorts of radiation, sickness, and pollution of crops. So the famine. And, of course, how the bombs were made of steel. Right. So
0: I can see it, again, kind of vague. But it's really weird that he mentions steel. I mean, to me, that says more like swords and a battle. I was going to say back then it could be seen that. But I don't know. I'm doing the thing
1: like, you know, when you read Revelations in the Bible. (laughs) And they talk about the locusts or whatever, and you're like, helicopters. That makes sense. It feels like the same thing here. Yeah. (laughs) Now, this next one was a bit of a stretch, but I kind of still liked it. And it was based on the Challenger disaster. The prophecy says that nine will be set apart from the human flock, separated from judgment and counsel, their fate to be determined on departure, Lawn unwrapped fruit will be the source of great scandal, great blame, to the other great praise. So, I mean, just at the very beginning, the numbers are wrong. The Challenger carried seven astronauts, not nine. But, however, the explosion created plenty of scandal and not being ready for liftoff. Eh. But, like I said, it feels like a big stretch.
0: It's a big stretch. Yeah. I'm not buying that one. Yeah.
1: And I threw this last one in here because why not? 9-11. Of
0: course. Of course.
1: The prophecy says, Garden of the world near the new city, in the pathway of cavernous mountains, seized and plunged into a cauldron shall be, forced to drink water that's sulfur poisoned. Now, there are plenty of his predictions that people have tried to refer to September 11th, as well as fake ones that circulated the internet. And I remember that.
0: I do too. Yeah.
1: But with this one, people have translated cavernous mountains to be the skyscrapers. And the new city, of course, to refer to New New York York City. City. Yeah. And the garden of the world to be Madison Square Garden. And the poison water to be the after effects of the attack when New York City inhabitants became sick due to the fumes and the chemicals around the city. I mean. But again, super vague. I can see it, but it's like super vague. I'm not. No, I'm not on board (laughs) with that one. So I got her answer. What is your thoughts? Is Nostradamus's predictions true or just stretched by, I guess, what, the media, society, to fit history? That one. Yeah, <laughs> I think so, too. But it's fun.
0: It it's is kind of cool. It gets me. Thanks for listening. Like us on Facebook at True Crimes and Weird Times Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at True Crimes Weird Times. Email us your stories at truecrimesweirdtimes at gmail.com. Can't wait for the next episode? Check out our Patreon for bonus episodes and more. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Bye!